0: Well, good morning. It's uh once again our time to worship the Lord together through the study of his word. So I'll ask you if you would, just to bow with me for a word of prayer as we begin our time. Heavenly Father, we are grateful once again to be able to open your word together and to look at such profound truth. <clears throat> Lord, we know you are a God of all wisdom that what you say is absolute truth, that there is no confusion, that you do not change. As I was even reading this morning, hearing the great truths of your very character, that your steadfast love is seen everywhere on the earth. And so, Lord, this morning, we are grateful for that. We thank you that you have opened our hearts and our minds and our eyes to be able to understand and see and to hear your truth. We would ask this morning as we process what you're telling us that we would uh, be able to grasp the fullness of it, the implications of it and begin to implement these things in our own lives. We pray that our lives would be uh, true to your word and uh, uh, a picture of Christ that others could see Christ, that could desire to know Christ, could see their sin for what it is, and so help us, Lord, to be the children that you are, uh, that you desire, and uh, the way that you are making us by the power of your Spirit, as we walk in obedience to your Word. Again, thank you for our time. We ask your blessing upon it in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, let's uh, take our Bibles together and open them, if you would, to Romans chapter 14. Of course, we're returning to our study of Romans chapter 14 and the whole discussion of how it is that we are to live as Christians in the exercise of our Christian liberties in light of the fact that the exercise of those liberties or gray areas as we have called them might cause offense to other brothers and sisters in Christ. These matters, if you will, of conscience, these uh, areas of life in which there is no prohibition in scripture, uh, things, decisions, activities that we might engage in that are not in and of themselves sinful Uh, that we have the freedom in Christ to engage in uh, or not to engage in. However, at the same time, we have to understand that all that we can do and often do does have an effect on both the gospel, it has an effect on Uh, on the gospel as it's reflected in my life as I walk out my Christian life here on this earth, and my actions can and do oftentimes affect others around me, other Christian brothers and sisters. So what I do as a Christian and how I live as a Christian And the impact that it has is an important portion of my Christian life that I have to pay close attention to as I think about how to live. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is addressing with the believers in Rome in chapter 14 of Romans. And the freedoms that were causing them struggle, or at least causing some struggle and causing potential trouble in the church, had to do with certain foods and with celebrating certain days in their calendar year. In our day, of course, those may not be the issues at hand. It may not be the issue of meat sacrificed to idols or certain kinds of celebratory days. What we do and how we exercise our Christianity and our Christian freedoms is certainly different in in many ways than they did in the first century church. There may be uh, some today that have a struggle with food. We're not Sure, and maybe we do. For us, we have a struggle of food, and we've attached it to religious reasons that we have struggle with certain kinds of foods. Some may still see certain celebrations that the church celebrates as a problem in the church. There are some who, who say that celebrating Christmas is not right, or celebrating certain other kinds of celebrations that the church might have is not kind of right. But the solution to all of those issues, no matter what those issues are, is the same. And that's what Paul has been speaking about and is speaking about here in chapter 14. And we cannot forget what we have learned already especially from the foundation upon which all of this stands, right? We studied for months and months and months, chapters one through 11 of Romans, and they are the foundation, if you will, for how and why we are to live as we are exhorted in chapter 13 and 14 and 12 and all the way into 15, how we are exhorted to live one through 11 are the foundation In other words, the salvation that we have in Christ by means of God's justifying grace that has been lavished upon us in Christ, the mercy that we have been given by God in salvation is that which is to undergird our very actions in every area of life. Understanding our salvation, understanding what it means, not simply for our eternity, but what it means for here and now, what it means for daily living, what it means for life right now on this earth. And therefore, we cannot forget the exhortation of chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. By the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, So right there in just that first few verses of chapter 12, we have the the way at which we carry out this practical living, the undergirding, the understanding from chapter 1 to 11 that's flowed out in our lives, in practice, in this practical, actual presenting of ourselves before God as one that is a a sacrifice, if you will, of God, a holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, one that... God would receive. And so because God has been so merciful to us in that he has saved us with such a great and glorious salvation, he has given us new life in Christ. Therefore, we are not to be any more like the world. We are not to be like the world in how it lives, living for self in all areas, always seeking to satisfy self and have my simple ways and preferences and ideas and, and my little life served in every way. We are not to do that. We are to rather be constantly being transformed by the renewing of our mind or the renovation of our mind or the spirit-empowered renovation, we could call it, so that we not simply will know the will of God, but we will live out. The will of God. So, this is what undergirds our actions that we find in chapter 14. Because this is our renewed mindset. This is our renewed thinking based upon the truth of Scripture. In fact, remember what Paul said back in chapter 8 and uh, verses 6 through 14 For the mindset on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Why? Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul is saying the worldliness, the the living like the world is tantamount to, as he was writing in the early chapters, to being someone who doesn't even know God at all. However, you are not in the flesh, he says, but in the spirit. The spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. And if Christ is in you, Even though your body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Verse 12 says, So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Or if we're living according to the flesh, you have to die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So by the time you get to Romans chapter 14, on the heels of what Paul has said in the previous chapters, it ought to seem rather elementary for us to hear what Paul says in verses 1 to 4, now, accept the one who is weak in the faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One man has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Let not him who eats regard with contempt him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. You remember the general principle is clear here. Don't allow your views of living out your Christian freedoms become such that in your mind you despise others. The view is to the strong in the faith person. Don't let your views of how you exercise or practice your Christian freedoms be such that when you look at others who are having issue with your views and your practice, that you despise them, that you put away with them, that you think less of them. Don't let that happen. But also on the other side, don't allow your views of others living out their Christian freedoms that you struggle with, don't let that become such... That you judge their spirituality, so both sides is being dealt with here the strong in the faith and the weak in the faith and as I've said over the last several weeks, oftentimes when we are exercising our own position, we believe we're strong in the faith, when in fact oftentimes we're not we're weak in the faith because we are either despising or judging and of course, by now we understand the difference between the strong in the faith and the weak in the faith person because the difference only lies in the understanding of salvation. And what I mean is not by the understanding of, gee, we're saved by Christ, in Christ alone, by faith alone, by God alone, we're justified in Him alone. I'm not speaking of the particulars of salvation, but the practice of salvation, the living out of our salvation. The difference only lies with a strong in the faith person and a weak in the faith person with their understanding of how salvation is lived out and its meaning. We either are exercising humility in the exercise of our salvation or we're exercising pride and how we live out our Christian life, particularly in how we despise or judge others as they live out their Christian lives helps define our understanding of our salvation and the practice of it in life, this side of heaven. Paul says to these Roman believers, let One man who has faith, verse 2, that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. So let him not eat who regard with contempt him who does not. And let him who does not eat, let him not judge him who does. For we're not to judge one another. And then Paul begins to deal with this other side in verse 5 and following. And I just want to read it for us this morning. And we'll we'll get to the discussion of it, not today, but we're going to get to the discussion of this in a f- further study. But I want to read it for us, and then we'll deal with what I want to deal with this morning. Beginning in verse 5, one man regards one day above another. Another regards every day the same. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it for the Lord. He who eats, does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God, where it's written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Now, that's a sobering thought. There is coming a day when each one of us will have to give a reckoning of how we live. Do we remember when we were studying 1 Corinthians? Our works will be judged. Our salvation is secure. We're secure in Christ. But what we do this side of heaven, living out our salvation, will be judged. Is it going to be wood, hay, or stubble? Or is it going to be works that are acceptable where there's reward. Each one of us is going to give an account of himself to God. So the cautionary reality there, by implication, is you need to be careful. You need to think. Christianity, salvation, living out our salvation is not a mindless reality. It's not an unthinking reality. It's not an irrational faith. Now, When Paul speaks of special days here in verses 5 through 12, he's not speaking specifically of whether to worship on Sunday or not. Some people and some commentaries you might read lean in that direction as to whether Sunday is the day that's right to worship or not, and we could certainly have a discussion about that. I believe there's good evidence from the New Testament that the proper day to worship is that which is called in the New Testament the first day of the week or the Lord's Day. But I think that's for a later discussion. I don't want to discuss that this morning. What was happening here is that some in the church, in the church in Rome, some there had made certain celebrations mandatory. There was a spiritual requirement, at least in their minds, as to the celebration of whatever it was they were celebrating. And many judged others' spiritual condition based upon whether they participated in them or not. In other words, it was the same problem as before, when eating meat or not eating meat or not having uh, certain kinds of foods. It was just a different gray area. And I want to get into the specifics of verses 5 through 12, like I said, but I want to save that for the next time. But for the rest of our time this morning, I think it would be profitable for us uh, to just have a list, if you will, uh, I want to give us some help this morning about how to go about making decisions in these areas of conscience or in these gray areas. Uh, because I know over the last several weeks, if we've been looking at chapter 14, and as some of you have texted me and even emailed questions about certain things, the thing that keeps coming back in the mind is, how do I go about making the decision? Whether to participate, whether or not to participate. How do I do that? And the reality is that we as Christians are challenged in all kinds of ways as we walk our Christian lives on whether something is profitable or what God, what, what, what we're allowed to do, what we're not allowed to do, right? Uh, we're challenged every day as to whether it's right or wrong to be doing certain things. We know that the Scriptures are patently clear on what is prohibited, right? Thou shalt not, or thou should do this as God's children. And we can look at a whole lot of Scriptures that have lists of things, not fully comprehensive lists, but we could compile a pretty long list from Scripture, especially from the letters of Paul, of what the sins of the flesh are. And so we understand what those things are, but many of us as we have been in this current series, like I said, have been asking questions of ourselves, how do I make the best decision? How do I make the God-honoring, gospel-reflecting decision when I have the privilege in my salvation to exercise Christian freedoms? How do I do that? How do I go about making that? Well, I hope this morning to give us some help with this, I want to give us Uh, Ten Questions to Ask Ourselves. And over the years in my own Christian life, I've had the privilege to sit under the teaching of many mature Christian mentors that I respect, and I want to give us this morning a list of questions, these ten questions, that you can ask yourselves when it comes to any given area of Christian freedom any area that's not a direct prohibition from Scripture, you can ask yourselves these questions to help you try to make a decision, to think through the decision process as to inform your own conscience and to strive to protect the consciences of your brothers and sisters in Christ as you make a decision as to whether to participate or not to participate. And again, I didn't originally come up with this list of questions. These are simply ones that I have compiled Over the years, through the wisdom of others who have uh, gone before me in the faith, who I respect highly in their spiritual lives. So, let me just walk through these this morning as we think about this and reflect upon a few passages from Scripture. The first question that ought to be at the top of any of our own list of questions to ask is to ask ourselves this Is this decision that I'm going to make? Is this potential activity that I'm going to do, will it reflect in my life the glory of God? Will it reflect in my life the glory of God? The Bible clearly tells us, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, that no matter what it is we are doing, even down to the mundane issues of eating and drinking, the everyday activity of life, even down to that, we are to glorify God. Now, You may remember when we were studying through 1 Corinthians that Paul was saying to the Corinthian believers, he he said that in chapter 10 after he had spoken rather lengthy in chapters 8 and 9 and even the beginning of 10 about this whole issue of meat being sacrificed to idols and how to deal with weaker and stronger brothers, what that relationship's supposed to be like with this whole issue of meat. Somebody was offended by somebody else eating meat whether it's right or whether it's wrong. And he gives them the same general counsel in 1 Corinthians that we have here in Romans chapter 14. And yet he says at the end of all of that counsel in chapter 10 and verse 31, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. In other words, in all things that we participate in, Uh, individually, all things that we're thinking about doing, we need to ensure that it is reflecting the character of godliness and an attitude of thankfulness to him in it. This is what the Apostle Paul said in Titus chapter 2. Paul speaking to the the women at the moment in Titus chapter 2 in that epistle, that he said to Titus, instruct women, to live in such a way that the Word of God is not dishonored. Carry out your life, make your decisions, participate in whatever it is. We could summarize it in 1 Corinthians 10.31. To do it to the glory of God. Ensure that the Word of God is not dishonored. And so we have to ask ourselves when it comes to a decision, when it comes to a Christian freedom, a gray area, an area of conscience, we have to ask ourselves, is what I'm doing is what I'm about to do, is it going to reflect rightly upon the character of God and his word? Is it going to glorify God? So that's the first question in our minds, is God, will this decision, whatever it is, will it bring glory to God? Number two, second question, will this activity promote Christ's likeness in me? Will this activity promote Christ's likeness in me? Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus says that we are to be imitators of God. Imitators of God. That, That sounds like a a very impossible reality and it is for anybody who doesn't know Christ but we have the spirit of God in us we have the mind of Christ and so we are to be imitators of God we're not to be God but we are to to live in in the same manner as God incarnate lived Christ and so what it means is that we are to live in such a way that Christ is seen in us and if you go to Ephesians chapter five, I don't want, I'm not going to turn there now, but if you go there in verse two of that passage, Paul spells out what it means to be an imitator of God. He says this, walk in love, walk in love, just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us. That's what verse 2 says. So be an imitator of God. How do I do that? I walk in love in the same way, in like manner as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us. So as Christ loved me through the self-sacrifice of himself for me, so, verse 3, don't let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you. Do you see the practical reality of that? Is this activity going to cause me and promote in me Christ-likeness? Well, what's that look like? Well, I'm going to be an imitator of God. Okay, how does that look? Well, I'm to love in the way that Christ loved me, that he gave himself. I'm going to be that same way, which harkens back to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, be a living sacrifice. So I'm to be like Christ in my life and in being like Christ, not only on the positive side, I'm to love in the way that Christ is loved and gave himself for me, but I'm not to let immorality or impurity or greed even be named among me. So is this activity going to promote in my thoughts or in my words or in my actions, Christ likeness? It's a question I need to be asking. Years ago, there was a cliche statement that went around in evangelicalism that was very popular. What would Jesus do? That was the statement. It became rather simplistic and rather cheesy in some ways, and it was thrown around on all kinds of things, and bumper stickers and wristbands and headbands and all kinds of things, and even the world jumped on the bandwagon for a time. But its intent was the same thing that Paul was saying. Is this going to promote the life of Christ in my life? That's the question we need to ask. So first, is it glorifying to God? Is it going to bring him glory? And is it going to promote Christ's likeness in me? Well, in light of number two, in light of the second one, Christ's likeness, we can ask a third question. Is this activity, is this decision going to undermine or weaken, listen, the evidenced lordship of Christ in my life? Is it going to undermine or weaken the evidenced lordship of Christ in my life? We talk about lordship a lot. People say, oh, Christ is my Lord and all these kinds of things. And we understand that he is Lord, that he cannot lose that title. It's not something we make him, he is Lord. And over the years in our church, we've talked about submission a whole lot. We understand as Christians the necessity of our submission to the lordship of Christ in our lives. But as you quickly find out in Christianity, not all Christians agree on what the rule looks like in practice, on what lordship looks like. All of those gray areas that we've been talking about. Not everybody agrees on, on the rule of Christ in these kinds of things. Well, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 14 to not violate our conscience. Don't violate your conscience that each person is to be convinced in his own mind. Verse five says one man regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. That's not a suggestion. That's a command. You are to be fully convinced in your own mind. Now, that doesn't mean that we simply just get our own mind made up on something as if nothing was to give input, that we just wake up one day and go, yeah, I was thinking about this, and I, my mind's made up on that, and, and as if I'm the only authority in it. It isn't that we run to all the gurus of society and all the the, the self-proclaimed and self-propagated internet gurus out there that speak their minds would have no responsibility to answer for it. No. What we are to do is we are to ensure that our mind, and when we're talking about mind, we're talking about our internal self, which is an informed conscience. We're talking about the conscience. We are to ensure that it is truly bound to the truth of Scripture. Not bound to the notions of truth, not bound to opinions about the truth, but bound to the truth of Scripture, rightly divided, because to do something without understanding, and without understanding why we're doing it or why not we're doing it, from the Scripture is sin. Romans chapter 14, verse 23, He who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. You see that, that whole issue of walking out, living out your salvation with understanding, understanding what it means to live that out by way of the scriptures and understand the scriptures and what they're saying and why they're saying it and what the implications are. He was eating not from that, from faith, whatever is not from faith is sin. Well, then I have to ensure that my exercise of a freedom is from a biblically informed decision. One that comes from a right understanding of Scripture, not comes from my own opinions about what Scripture says, not comes from my own opinions. And then I go and try to find Scripture to fit my opinions. And I go and argue those at, at infinitum. No, from a right Biblically informed decision, and if I don't, it's going to undermine and weaken an evidenced lordship of Christ in my life. When I say evidenced, I mean a practiced lordship, one that people can see. It's evident that Christ is Lord in my life. Why? Because the scriptures are the authority. The scriptures are the authority. In a humble, right understanding of the scriptures, I submit to what the word of God says. Let's move along. Number four. Number four. Will my participation in whatever the activity is be such that my ultimate judgment will be hindered? Let me say that again. Will my participation be such that my ultimate judgment will be hindered? We might ask it another way. In making this decision and how I go about this doing this, whether I do it or not, am I in doing it quenching the Holy Spirit's work in my life? My participation, am I quenching the Holy Spirit's work in my life? The Bible clearly tells us to submit our wills to the influence of the Holy Spirit. We know that our wills are influenced by the work of God's Word in our lives, right? It's the Word of God that we are to be, uh, Always in, saturated with, absorbing, we are to take it in. And the truth that the Holy Spirit influences us with is the Word of God. That's what John 14 and John 16 clearly tell us. I will send the Spirit. He will lead you in truth. So any decision I make to participate in some kind of freedom can have the potential of hindering that reality, the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, if I'm not sensitive to what the Scriptures teach. For example, if I spent much of my time with others who are not believers... UnChristians. If I, if that was the majority of my time spent, that that continued influence upon me can begin to challenge me to begin to doubt the need for holiness in my life. If all I'm doing is swimming in a pool of unbelievers, then then that reality begins to challenge the very reality of my life and whether I need to be holy or not. In other words, my spiritual senses can easily be dulled by their influence. This is what 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, that bad company corrupts good habits. You see, we oftentimes think it's the other way around, that I'm going to be this one little pure entity in the midst of all this poison, and I'm going to make the difference in all of it. And while God can certainly do that, the fact of the matter is oftentimes, and more often than not, that bad company corrupts good your good intentions, and your good habits. Listen, there are many things that may be directly unprohibited by Scripture that may actually be, even though they're unprohibited, they may actually be temptations for me due to my own weakness of the flesh. Therefore, it's good that I don't practice them. For some of us, that may be some of the vices that we see in our world today, drinking, sometimes it's food, sometimes it's leisure, sometimes it's medications, whatever it may be. Some of those things that aren't in and of themselves sinful, in and of themselves prohibited, can be in fact a cause for our own weaknesses to be exploited. So I have to ask that question. Is my participation in this going to affect my ultimate judgment Is that going to be hindered in me? Number five. Number five. Is my practice, is my exercise of this decision to participate in this activity, this Christian freedom, just a nicely painted screen to cover my actual sinful activity? In other words, am I deciding to do an activity under the name of Christian freedom But the truth is that I actually have a sinful desire to participate. You see, we've heard the Old Testament adage, right? We've heard it. Honesty is the best policy. We've heard that before. That age old statement. Nothing could be more true than when we are dealing with ourselves. We have to be honest with ourselves. Because it's easy for us to hide our thinking from others, right? Nobody else really knows what I think. We'd be in a terrible place. It would be a different world if God had put little LED screens on our foreheads and we could read whatever our thoughts were from everybody else. But we can't do that. And so we can hide our thinking from others, but we know just what's behind our thoughts. We know that. Scripture exhorts us to never pretend with our sinful motives. Don't pretend. In fact, 1 Peter chapter two and verse sixteen says that we are not to use our liberty as a covering for sin. Not to use our liberty as a covering for sin. You say, "Well, okay. So how do I know if I do that? How do I know if I'm using my liberty as a covering for sin? How do I know if my motive for doing something is right or not?" Well, here's a good test. Here's a good test. You have a freedom. You enjoy exercising that freedom. Well, here's a test. Forgo your freedom for a time as a way of testing yourself. Forgo it. Don't do it. If you find yourself being like a defense attorney and defending and giving all the reasons why it's okay because it's a freedom, then your motive is probably misplaced about it. You're probably in the wrong place in your thinking about that freedom. In other words, if you can't give up something that is a freedom and you staunchly defend it when when you're asked to forego it, then your motive for doing it is probably from the flesh. If it's truly a freedom, then you should be able to easily forego it without any difficulty. Just let it go for a time. Number six, number six. Is this practice, is this participation, is this decision going to make me more godly by doing it? Now, that's a little different than what we asked before, Christlikeness. Is it going to make me more godly? We, we might ask this even in the words of Hebrews chapter 12. Is it going to help me run the race without encumbrance? Is it going to help me run the race without encumbrance? In other words, sinful practices, even freedoms that will not help our growth and endurance can become encumbrances in our life. Just because Hebrews says, run the sin that so easily entangles us, even though it just says sin and we know what clear sin is, sometimes freedoms can become encumbrances to our lives. For example, we all need sleep. We all enjoy sleep. In fact, some of us love sleep. But if we spend too much time sleeping, like Proverbs chapter 6 says, it'll hinder our growth. It'll hinder our growth. We all need time to recuperate. We all need time to do leisure things. God has given us that grace. God has given us those things to be enjoyed, but too much of it is not spiritually healthy. So it's going to make, is it going to make me more godly? That's what I have to ask myself. Is it going to make me more godly? Is it going to increase the encumbrances in my life or is it going to make me more godly? Number seven, number seven, 1 Corinthians chapter six, beginning in verse 12 says this, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12, all things are lawful for me. Some of your translations may say profitable, all things are, are permissible, all things are permissible for me, but not all things are profitable, or not all things are helpful. All things are permissible for me, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, but I will not be brought under the power of any of them. That's what it says. That last phrase is an important phrase when we think about Christian freedoms, right? Is my exercise of this freedom, is my exercise in this gray area, in this area of conscience, is it going to bring me under its power? Paul is simply saying that while all things may be permissible, and what he means there is all things that aren't prohibited by Scripture, when all things may be permissible, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's good for me to participate in all things. In other words, there are certain freedoms that I need to stay away from simply because they have the potential of gaining power over me. Now, what, what things are those? Well, they certainly are going to vary from individual to individual. But the principle is the same. We're talking about the principle, how you go about making your decision. I have to evaluate The known weaknesses in my life. I know what my weaknesses are. I know where my temptations lie. I know the things that I struggle with. And if I know I can struggle with a certain thing, then it's best for me to stay away from it. Why? Because it can easily overpower me. This is like... Counseling 101, if you will, when it comes to helping someone struggle through an issue. Someone has a, a struggle with some kind of... Uh issue in their life. Maybe it's drinking, and they, and they drink, and they have issue with, with being drunk, and they they want to break the pattern. They, they want to have help with that. They've, they've claimed Christ. They're a saved person. They've, they've had this struggle over the years, and it seems to keep winning over them. And, and one of the things you want to help them do is say, okay, listen, one of the patterns you need to get out of is stop buying alcohol. Why? Because it easily can overcome you stop buying it. The same with internet use. Some people struggle with internet and how to use that. Some people, well, stop, stop using it. That's one of the practical steps. It's going to overpower you. And here's where we need to be very careful, because our sinful flesh is an expert at rationalizing. It's an expert at at convincing ourselves, we, we we're an expert at convincing ourselves that I really don't have a problem. And far too often we overestimate our own spiritual strength. We convince ourselves that we'll never be overcome by that. The next thing you know, you're trapped doing things you never thought you'd do. Might be money, might be the pursuit of money. Might be some issue with food, it might be some other kind of activity that God has bestowed now on this earth to bless, but we abuse the privilege. We're experts at that. The abuse of the privilege, and rather than regulate ourselves, we overestimate our own strength. We overestimate that strength, and what was a freedom, what was an actual something that could be enjoyed rightly, now is an idol that I have to do away with. So I need to ask myself, is there a possibility that I might be enslaved by this if I begin it, if I do it? So let me just recap so far before we finish with the last few, right? Is it going to reflect the glory of God in this activity? Number two, will this activity promote Christ's likeness in me? Number three, is my decision going to Undermine or is it going to weaken the evidenced lordship of Christ in my life? Number four, am I quenching the Holy Spirit's work in my life? Number five is my practice is my practice of a of a gray area of freedom? Is it just some nicely painted screen to cover actual sinful activity and desires? next is it going to make me more godly by doing it is going to make me more godly by doing it and then number 7 is my exercise of this freedom going to bring me under its power so those are the those are the, the seven questions that are really inward focused seven questions that i can ask myself that really really dissect my own heart my own thinking and how i go about processing stuff, dealing with myself. The next few are outward. They're outward focused. Outward focused. Number eight. Number eight question is this. Will, will my action help lead others to Christ? Will my participation in this activity, will my decision to do this, or whatever it is, will it help lead others to Christ? Remember, in our entire study of Romans, particularly since we came to chapter 12 and up to the point we are now in chapter 14, it's all about adorning the gospel, putting on the clothes of the gospel of Jesus Christ, living out a life that shows that we know Christ, that our lives reflect the life-giving and life-saving truth and the transformation that happens that's inherent in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is there a life like that? That's adorning the gospel. And Paul says to the Roman believers in chapter 14 that there should not ever be an action done by them that could be spoken of as evil. Don't ever do anything that might be used as evil by somebody else. Don't let it be seen. Notice what he says in verse 20. Do not tear down the work of God, Romans chapter 14, verse 20, do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and it gives offense. They don't, don't, don't allow your freedoms to be used by others as an offense. Sometimes that's very subjective, isn't it? Sometimes that's a subjective thing. That's not very objective. I've heard people say, well, how come their conscience, I have to be ruled by their conscience? When we think about this, the world often thinks that godly things are wrong. Doing godly things, that they're just inherently wrong. They speak of them as if they are actually evil things. But what Paul's talking about is our activity being such that it misrepresents, misrepresents the clarity of who Christ is and what the truth is, not simply to the world, but to to all who are watching. Does it so we have to ask ourselves, is what I'm doing misrepresenting Christ? Somebody may be wrongly offended by that. Some may be wrongly attaching evil to that. And so I have to evaluate it myself. I have to, I have to say, okay, I appreciate the input and I need to evaluate my life. Is what I'm doing really misrepresenting in some way Christ? Leading others to Christ. Remember how the Apostle Peter put it to the suffering believers that he was writing to in 1 Peter chapter 2? Here's what he said. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Live the right way. Be that living holy sacrifice, like Paul is saying, right? Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that when they do speak against you as evildoers, and it's going to happen, so that when your activity is seen as evildoers, keep your behavior excellent so that on account of your good works, as they watch them, they might glorify God in the day of visitation. You see, those are gospel words, living in such a way so that the gospel is seen even if it's never heard with my voice. Now, it doesn't mean I should never speak about it, but there are times when people see me who never know me, who never talk to me, and I want them to see the gospel. I don't just want them to hear the gospel, I want them to see the gospel, and that means me. So sometimes I'm I'm participating in something or I'm thinking about participating in something. I need to evaluate the situation. I say, okay, are those around me who could this could misrepresent Jesus Christ to them? This situation could misrepresent to them the gospel of Jesus Christ? I have to think about that. And so even though I can do all things, doesn't mean that I should do all things. Listen we all realize there are certain activities within society that can be easily linked to questionable and even worldly things easily linked to that. Even though they, the activity in and of itself is a technically a freedom. I have to ask myself, is it going to represent Christ if I do it? Even though I can do all things doesn't mean I should do all things. So will my action help lead others to Christ? The next one, number nine, will my participation in this activity build up other Christians? Will it build up other Christians? See, this is outward focus, just like the number eight was. Will it help others see Christ? Will it build up other Christians? Christians. Paul clearly told the Corinthian believers that they are to protect the consciences of other believers. Right? You are your brother's keeper. You're to look out for their conscience, the stronger brothers to look out for the consciences of not only himself, but others. In other words, I have to always be thinking about how I can build up my fellow Christian brothers and sisters. And therefore, what I do in front of them And what I do with them is not just answering the question, is this a freedom or not? That's the simple surface question to ask. Is this clearly prohibited in Scripture? And once I get the answer, no, that's not, I cannot just simply leave it there and say, well, therefore, it must be okay. No, even more so, I need to be asking myself, is this going to help others grow to spiritual maturity if I do it? Not only can I say, well, it's a freedom of mind, I need to be thinking about their conscience. In other words, I must never knowingly, I must never knowingly put a stumbling block in another's path along their way of spirit in the spiritual journey. I can't knowingly do that. I have to strive to be an example to follow. All right? Verse 22 of Romans chapter 14, the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not contemn himself in what he approves. You don't don't let what your freedom is be something that tears somebody else down. Verse fifteen of that same chapter of chapter fourteen of Romans. For if because of food your brother is hurt. You're no longer walking in love. Wait a minute, I've heard that before. I'm to be an imitator of Christ. Well, how did Christ, imitator of God, well, how is that? Well, walk in love just as Christ did. So if I'm deciding to exercise my liberty where my brother is hurt and I knowingly do that, I'm not walking in love. He says, "Don't, don't destroy with your food, with your freedom, him for whom Christ died. Don't let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. You see, we ought to be striving to build others up, not just ourselves. We are an example to follow, or we ought to be. And so will my participation build up other Christians? And then lastly is this. Number 10, will this help build unity in the body of Christ? So now it's not just individual to individual, Christian to Christian, but now will it help build unity in the body of Christ? We ought to all be striving to build up, not just ourselves and not just other individuals, but the entire body, as Paul said in Ephesians, so that we all attain to a maturity of faith, that we all are one-minded in Christ. But somebody's gonna say, well, that's difficult to do. Yes, especially, especially if our consciences struggle with a whole lot of things. We already know from our study of Romans chapter 14, verse three and four, that the weaker brother is not to judge others who are strong in the faith about certain freedoms. But sometimes, sometimes that's just hard for us to find the balance in, in doing that or not doing that. And, and, and what we must do in those moments is rightfully acknowledge our struggle rightfully see ourselves in the struggle of it and be honest about the tendency of ourselves to hold others accountable to a standard of our own thinking. We can't do that. And if that is us, then we should confess that sin before God, because that's what it is. Judging others wrongly. Like it says, as a spiritual standard, that's wrong If that's us, we need to confess that sin before God and work or strive to have our consciences rightly informed by the truth of Scripture and then submit to that truth. I'm not saying you need to practice, but I'm saying you need to submit to that truth by not judging others. Sometimes growing in maturity can be uncomfortable. Why? Because we like our safe way of life. We like our little way in which we do things, the rules, the regulations that we've set up for our own self, how we regulate our own little life. But God wants us to grow. God wants all of us to grow in humility, to have that growth, bring growth to the body of Christ as a whole. So if we judge others, then we need to seek their forgiveness and renew those relationships. And we need to thank God for the opportunity to grow. We need to thank Him for that. As we saturate ourselves, as we delve into the Word of God, and we begin to rightly understand the truth of God's Word, as we exercise patience with all our brothers and sisters in Christ, we realize none of us have arrived None of us has reached the pinnacle of spiritual maturity that we can say, yeah, just be like me and everything will be fine. No, we're to be imitators of God. And one day, as we heard Paul say, we will stand before God. We will stand before our King. We will stand before an answer for our lives. And so Paul says to the weaker, don't do that. Don't judge. You be humble. Go to the word of God. Understand it. Don't judge their spirituality based upon those things. And he says to the strong, don't despise those who, who may be by their own weak consciences. You seem to think they're controlling your freedoms. Don't despise them. No. Humbly forego if you need be. Don't cause another brother to stumble. Forgo those freedoms if necessary. And if you can't, then maybe they're controlling you, and maybe you haven't answered those questions in the right kind of way before the Lord. Maybe it's just a cloak over that you are wearing in order to really hide some sinful practice that you like to indulge in. Because just as the weak haven't arrived, neither has the strong. My exhortation to all of us this morning is just let's be humble. Let's be humble and discerning as we strive to not be God in the lives of others. We are not God. We are not the God, the spirit, God, the son, or God, the father. We are not God. And let's not strive to be God in the lives of others for the sake of the gospel. Let's be gospel reflectors as we seek to live for God even through and especially through our Christian freedoms that he has so blessed us with. Well, we'll get to verses five through 12 next time, probably more in a summary fashion. We may even cover a longer portion because we've touched on certain verses as we've gone through this as well. We'll get all to that next time. Time seems to go so fast in the morning, but we're thankful. So let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this opportunity. Lord, help us this morning in these ways to to go back to your word, to look at these passages, to think through them and realize just how it is we ought to be as your people. Just how it is we ought to be to one another and striving to, to be like Christ in protecting one another and not simply just exercising our freedoms for the sake of us. But Lord, help us to glorify you in all things. Help us not do anything that might cause somebody else to stumble. Help us strive to be just like Christ. Lord, we know you'll be honored by that because you've commanded it for us. And we know that you are, you stand with those who are righteous. And so we want to be the kind of children you have commanded us to be and equipped us to be. Strengthen your church by these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.